This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. HCIC Next is a podcast focusing on how digital leaders are reshaping marketing and the healthcare industry. This podcast series shares information about the innovations that are happening today in digital marketing and helps you understand how to apply what has worked in other healthcare systems across the country and how you can take that into your very own organization. This episode you're about to hear was originally captured at the 2019 Healthcare Internet Conference in Orlando, Florida. And this particular session is titled, How Thinking Smaller in Digital Channels Yields Bigger Growth. You'll hear this presented by Sharon Clary of Advent Health, Jason Brown of BPD, and Tyler Ford of Optum. Let's give it a listen. My name is Tyler Ford. I'm a senior director with Optum in our consumer division. We'll get into formal introductions in just a second, but I'm also joined up here today by uh, Sharon Lyme Clary, who's the vice president of marketing at Advent Health in their central Florida division, and Jason uh, Brown, who's the CEO of BPD Advertising. At the end of the consumer engagement track here, we really wanted to close the conversation today with some thoughts around uh, a theme that uh, came about in a number of different sessions that we attended this year. Uh, And that's the idea of consumers and the the engagement forces working against them in healthcare actually creating a trend that was working against volume and marketing efficiency. There is more competition and more uh, attention Uh, being spent on attracting the same patients in the market than ever before. And that has manifested itself in various business challenges, as well as a loss of marketing efficiency for many providers across the year. And that's affected each of our three organizations in different ways. So over the course of 2019, all three of us put our heads together, and the fruit of that effort was a pilot focused on a different way to tap into a large data set to understand how to understand consumers in a better way and deliver more personalized, engaging marketing to drive volume over the course of 2019. So today, we're happy to share a little bit more thinking on consumer engagement with you and some information uh, about how to personalize and make uh, marketing more relevant. We'll talk a little bit more about the pilot that we've endeavored together over in the market over over the last year. And then we'll wrap up with a little bit of lessons learned and considerations for anyone else who's either investing or uh, experimenting with personalized marketing today. But as I mentioned before, we'll go into introductions today. Again, my name is Tyler Ford. For those of you who don't know Optum, we are the healthcare data, services, and healthcare provider division of United Health Group. We're a small organization of just over $87 billion in annual revenue. Um, And we have a unique position uh, in that our mission is to ultimately reduce the total cost of care in the United States by better engaging patients and fixing, fixing problems within the system. We're uniquely positioned to do that because we sit and have the privilege of collecting and analyzing in some way, shape, or form data on more than 160 million uh, consumers and Americans' healthcare journeys uh, every year. And we put that, anal- that analysis and that insight into products and services that help our partners transform how they work with consumers and patients. We're particularly excited about the digital marketing space because ultimately we believe that when healthcare and provider marketers have the right information to produce offers that are deeply relevant to consumers, people are more likely to seek the care that they need. And ultimately that that reduces costs. But like with any big ambition in healthcare, we are only as strong as the partner organizations that we work with. And so to that end, I'd also invite Jason to introduce himself. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jason Brown. I'm the CEO and Chief Strategy Officer of Brown Parker and DeMarinus Advertising. We are a, what we would consider a traditional advertising agency uh, located not too far from here, about three hours south if you go pretty fast on the turnpike, which I do every other week. Um, we have been in business about 20 years, a little bit less actually, and over that time uh, we helped co-found Pioneer and become the largest hospital marketing agency in the country. Um, 
And we've done that in a few ways. First of all, by always leaning into and trying to figure out better solutions for our clients and getting them results. And hopefully they're having a really good experience along the way. We became really good at top-level umbrella branding. Uh, we also became really good at service line branding, creating preference for our, our hospital and healthcare system clients, different services, whatever was key to them. And we had reached sort of the pinnacle of our very small space. Actually, when I started, there were about two companies that specialized uh, in hospitals and health systems. Uh, today, there's probably, well, I didn't walk through the exhibit hall uh, too much uh, while I was here, but there's probably 500 if you count everyone at HCIC, Schismed, and those of us that don't exhibit anymore at either one of them. Uh, so it's a bigger space now. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of reason to want to change, except for the fact that I had a lot of clients calling me a few years ago saying, hey, let's, uh, let's start doing more retail. And I thought, what a great idea. And I would turn to my people and they'd say, uh, what are they talking about? We don't know anything about this retail thing that they keep saying. And what our clients were really asking for was, we want more results. We want more accountability. We need to be able to prove this. Now, my guess is 97% of the people in this room are digital, so you've been talking about this for a long time. But to us, traditional people, or those that grew up as just full-service ad agencies, talking about and leaning into the idea of tracking and retail and service line promotion, we weren't great at. Which sort of brings me to today. Um, we understood then that we needed partners, that we didn't necessarily have either the expertise um, or even just the assets in-house to be able to offer great retail promotion for our clients, to offer great service line promotion for them. So I'm so pleased to be joined today by Tyler with Optum and, of course, our longstanding 15-year client, uh, Sharon Lang-Clary. So Sharon, introduce yourself, please. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I'm going old school on the mic here. Um, I'm very happy to be here. As Tyler said, I'm Vice President of Marketing at Advent Health. We are a $12 billion company. We're a national organization. You might have known us, at least in Florida, if you're, if you're from here, as Florida Hospital. Um, but we rebranded on January 2nd under a new name. Same doctor, same clinicians you love and trust, but just under a new name. Um, we have 50 hospitals throughout nine different states, and you can see that illustrated here. We're based actually out of Florida, and our flagship organization, our flagship of the entire system, is right here in downtown Orlando. We have 80,000 employees who are caring for over 5 million patients a year. That's just a few patients. Um, and what I have been challenged with is that those patients are all really, really different. They're so diverse. They're diverse by where they live, what they do, how they behave. And so as we as marketers are challenging ourselves to think differently and think smarter, I was looking for a solution. I was looking for all this data out there. How could it help me? And how could it help me to really talk to customers in a more personalized way? So I'm excited to be here today with Tyler and Jason and kind of share some of our story. Appreciate that, Sharon. So that's the three of us. I thought we would go next to a little bit more of the context behind why we're seeing different trends in the consumer space and what that means for marketers. In general, consumerism is not a new word. We've been talking about that for the better part of 10 years. I'm sure HCIC has had a consumer track for the better part of that time as well. So what's different about healthcare today that perhaps revisits uh, or calls for a revisiting of why it's important? Well, we would argue it's two things. Number one, the cost pressure on American families is simply changing the game. Benefit structures are changing, particularly as consumers become more overwhelmed and more responsible for the, the front part of their care. Um, and then part two, and I'm sure you've seen this, observed this with uh, your own organizations and with your own clients, there has been a groundswell of new competitors, new entrants into healthcare. Consumers have more choice than they ever have before especially acutely in the front door services space. Things like primary care, things like urgent care, things like telehealth. Well, what does that mean for all of us? At least on a national level, it's actually changing the way that the healthcare dollar is spent across America. And as we look at the basket of goods of where Americans are spending their primary care service dollars, that market is starting to look a lot less like healthcare has traditionally looked, and it's starting to look a lot more like industries that are more retail in nature. The healthcare front door market is starting to look a lot more like automobiles, starting to look like Christmas. There's seasonality and choice involved. And what that means for healthcare marketing teams and those of us charged with driving growth 
is that we've got to get out of a mindset of simply thinking through how do we influence and please physicians and how do we establish a world-class brand and start thinking in a more retail light. What are the offers that I'm making to my consumers and are they relevant? How do I study consumer journeys and understanding which consumers I want to focus on and in what way? And when we do all of that, that's ultimately going to determine what uh, uh, success looks like for marketers uh, moving forward. I think it's helpful to talk about the trends, but perhaps, Sharon, you could talk a little bit more to us about what consumerism has meant from your side of the house. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing consumerism really hit our marketplace, and I'd just love to see a show of hands. How many of you are feeling it in your markets? Yeah, quite a few. And so um, for me, a great example of this, and it's really centered around what the pilot that we're going to show you today or talk about, is really around kind of this freestanding emergency room space or HBED, you might hear it, hospital-based emergency department. Um, and, but it's just one of many examples that are happening in our industry. Um, it feels like every day there's some news story about either our, my company or our competitors announcing some new product line in the space coming to the market. The reality here in Central Florida is that from 2018 to 2021, so a four-year period, we will have 24 new freestanding emergency rooms in this Central Florida region. Now, that is on top of the infrastructure that I already have in place and my competitors. So talk about becoming a retail marketplace and emergency rooms almost are feeling like they're the next CVS or Walgreens on the street, right? And so um, as we talk about today, it just becomes more and more important for us to think differently and to think about how we use data to really talk to these customers and really personalize it so that they understand what we can bring to them and why they need to choose us. And so when we think about what that actually means and what the key takeaways are, we think about three things. First, increasingly, whether or not health systems and provider organizations continue to see strong volume growth is going to depend increasingly on how well their consumer strategies actually play out and how well they're able to influence consumers at the individual level with direct marketing. Part two, consumer influence actually requires us to be relevant and have a lot more information on consumers than we've ever had before. It requires us to take a retail mindset and apply strategies, segmentations, data in new ways that are less brand-specific and more individual consumer-specific. And then finally, that challenge is uniquely problematic in healthcare simply because of the wide variety of products and customer types that we actually have. Think about the wide diversity that Sharon talked about of her 5 million patients of all different needs, all different healthcare statuses, all different payer types. When we think about all of that together, it puts a massive premium on having the right information and deploying a smart strategy in an organized way. So it was interesting, when we started to think through, Jason and I, about two years ago, what could healthcare marketing look like and respond to that trend, we actually thought about what we were seeing providers do before uh, we, we, had, we had even kind of gotten into the space. And really that was defined by two things. On the one hand, we saw providers starting to invest in new world-class brand capabilities. Advent Health is a great example of that, developing out a new mission statement and speaking to consumers in a new way with a brand new brand platform. But the deficiency there was largely that those brand messages were continuing to be delivered at the community level as opposed to being personalized at the individual level. That was track number one. Track number two was we saw widespread adoption of tools, data, and technologies that really weren't capturing the full art of marketing, if you will. We saw people investing in consumer relationship management systems, marketing automation tools, but what we were seeing was more of the same messages being delivered across different channels. There really wasn't as much personalization. We were simply delivering the same generic message through different channels. So Jason and I came together and said, well, how could we put those two things together? How could we both uh, adopt the promise of what looks like uh, extreme precision and knowing what message to deliver to consumers at what time, combined with the unique uh, relevance of a, a brand, an individual's brand to someone? Jason, I wonder if you'd talk a little bit more about that coming together. Yeah, so it wasn't a solution that we were specifically looking for, but as I said in my introduction, we were sort of starting to look around and saying, we're not so great at service line promotion. We're not so great at converting preference into profits. And Optum walked through the door, Tyler and some of his colleagues, 
And they said, do you want to, we want to talk to you about all this data. And they unpacked the data for me. And like three hours later, I had no idea what they had just said. (laughs) And I asked a question, which I'm glad I did. Uh, I didn't feel too dumb or too embarrassed to ask the question. I'm like, can I continue and can my company continue to put out messages that connect emotionally and connect human beings with the brand? He said, absolutely. I said, can you do it more powerfully and save my clients money? He said, absolutely. And out of that conversation, I came to understand, and many since, um, over the past 18 to 24 months, that what we're really talking about is the combination of art and science together in a much more powerful way than we've ever been able to do, and really creating a new model. Because if we all take a look at it, whether you're a you know, a data person, whether you're a brand person, whether you're digital, whether you're traditional, I guess at this show you're going to be mostly digital. Um, The truth of the matter is, is we all want to build brand and create volumes at the same time. And we are often left with a false choice. I've been dealing with this for 25 years. Many of you have been in this meeting when we say, well, how much do we put into the brand versus service lines? Can we really afford to do that anymore? Or is there potentially a new, better way? And Candidly, I felt that we had an opportunity to actually disrupt what we're doing, even our own belief systems, and put it together and say, data, scientists, art, science, let's put it together and let's actually, com- let's actually form a combination. And the truth of the matter is, is that's what consumers want. That's what the marketplace actually needs. Because who here has increasing budgets every single year? Yeah, show of hands. That's a big thing in these things. Show of hands. Who gets a 5% budget bump every single year? Just sharing. No. (laughs) Um, Budgets are flat every single year. What do you do? You fight for the same exact budget year after year. Or, worse, they want to cut it. And you have to fight to get it back to somewhere that it was the previous year. Yet... Are you being asked to do less? No. So we have to actually approach this differently. We don't have a choice. And so we saw this as a solution to say, you know what? Can we continue to do branded, highly engaging messaging, yet narrow our audiences so much that it was much more effective? And that's what you're going to hear about today. So Jason, what does that look like? It's great to talk about the coming together of the two companies, but actually talk to me about how that's different. Okay, so we're going to go... I've I've seen some sessions on this here and at other conferences. I'm going to start really high level. So I apologize. It's like really general, and you won't be able to just take a snapshot of the picture and be like, okay, we'll implement that. That's fine. Um, But let me start high level, and I promise you we'll get into more specifics, okay? So it really starts with defining the types of patients you want to even acquire. So say that you are going after cardiovascular patients. That's a big one almost everywhere. Cardiovascular, ortho, neuro, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you sort of define them. Who, who are they? And then, I don't have the clicker. Um, I think this is where we start to diverge with existing models out there. You are able to identify within that patient population who has a clinical need. Okay, so let's put this in the real world. How many of you go after women 3554? I have made my entire career going after women 3554. My entire career. Nobody has spent more time than me over the past 20 years telling my clients women 3554. (laughs) But we have to admit it's not the smartest thing we ever did. We don't need to do that anymore. How many women 3554 in Central Florida are potential cardiovascular patients? Well, let's just say for the sake of discussion, there's a million women 3554. I don't think that's the number, by the way. I should actually know that number uh, because I've talked about that number for 15 years. But let's just say that there's a million. How many of them actually have some type of condition that would lead us to believe that they have a need sometime in the next 90, 120 days for cardiovascular services. We've just narrowed it from a million to 20,000. And then we take those 20,000 and we're able to precisely target those folks through both traditional and digital mechanisms. Let's start with the digital ones because they're way more exciting than, than the traditional ones. The digital mechanisms are things like, and you'll see momentarily what we did for Advent Health, Things like programmatic, things like social, and then, of course, we had things like direct mail. 
This is the first time in history where everything has sort of come together. Everyone sort of had the philosophy. You're probably sitting in your seat going, eh, sort of heard this before. However, have you really been able to deploy it end to end before in a real way? And I would say that most of us have not been able to do that. And one thing that was lacking wasn't just our expertise or our desire. It was that actually the media didn't line up with this. So we'll talk more about that momentarily, but that's the basics of hyper-personalization. Thank you, Jason. And what, what I think it begs is a question of, we've alluded to lots of data, lots of information on people. Well, let's add a little bit more specificity to what we mean when we say that, and then what we do with all of it. So when we think about the idea of getting personal to consumers, it's really two concepts that we have to foundationally understand. The first is targeting, and the second is personalization. When we think about that, the foundation for all of that rests on knowing two sources of information about people, and it really reflects who they are as human beings. Part one is all of the characteristics that make them who they are as people outside of healthcare. Who's in my family? What are my needs? What are my attitudes, beliefs? What makes me a shopper? All of those different components that, we, that retail industries have historically used to great effect, it's critically important uh, in hyper-personalization. But in healthcare, what's equally as important is a view of the health status of that patient. And what are the information that we know about what they need? What are the diseases that they have? What procedures have they had in the past? What relationships do they have with physicians? And ultimately, for the care that they've received or will receive, what is the value of that service? Or what is the value of an intervention that might save uh, a patient a downstream uh, encounter? When you put those two elements together, uh, as we have with Optum, um, you get a really powerful repository that, gets, that lets you understand and segment data in different ways to reach different customers in a more smart way. So what do I mean by that? Let's first talk about tar- targeting. Jason mentioned women 35 to 54 before. We've, we've probably done 100 conversations with health systems and marketing teams around the country, and almost universally, we, we've seen people kind of rely on the two levers of both gender and uh, age segmentation to kind of get at different groupings uh, for marketing or for targeting. That approach is, in some ways, valuable, but where it falls apart is when you know what to do with it. That segment of people or that large swath of people, it's really hard to summarize or generalize what are all the health needs of a woman who could be between the age of 35 and 54. What we'd actually encourage you to do when you have or when you invest in data is to start with a view of clinical need. Let's first isolate or try and uncover an audience of everyone in the market who needs cardiac services, who needs cardiac surgery. And then what it allows you to do is take that group of people and subdivide it into groupings that might make more sense for marketing. So I could treat women differently than men. I could treat people who are engaged and positive different than people who are disengaged and rather negative. I can segment people by their financial status or their ability to pay. Thinking and flipping that model on its head allows you to get to a narrow target that uh, a a group of targets that actually is defined by their clinical needs that we can speak to in a very relevant way. And then what we can do is actually personalize personalize based on all that information that we have on them as people. We can start to use messages that resound to what their needs are or to what their attitudes are. We can reinforce good behavior. We can start to add more dire messages about people that are harder to reach. But most important, we can then segment and put those messages into direct channels where we know some of those consumers may operate. Not everyone is in the same media environment or the same media consumption habit, and so we want to target and be smart about that. Customization simply allows you to target people that have clinical need for a given service or intervention, divide them up into smart ways, and then put media and messages out there that are going to be personal, relevant, and in channels that they favor. So I wonder, Jason, if you could talk a little bit more about how three organizations come together to partner around something like this. Sure. Thank you, Tyler. So at, at the at the foundation of all of this is having a world-class data partner and uh, Optum, really for all of our efforts, um, for all of our pilots that we're running coast to coast, and certainly here in Central Florida, they provide all the data, the insights, the audience segmentation, and the technology platform that we run off of. Um, our team then takes and develops a messaging matrix. Um, in the digital world, you guys are doing a lot of messaging matrices, but um, essentially, think of it as having hundreds of potential audiences, and you have a unique message visualization, and approach for every single one. That's a long ways away from women 35, 54, and clumping them all together. Um, But that's what we're doing, right? 
And then we have to do creative and production for each one of those segments and across every single media. We have to place all the media and we have to track every single one of these media outlets. So it takes a team. And I will tell you the most important person on the team standing in front of you right now is the lady to my right, um, the client. You have to have a courageous client that wants to do something innovative, that wants to do something different, that demands to do something better. Um, so I applaud Sharon and I applaud all of you if you're sitting in the session saying, we want to get better, we want to do different, we must uh, innovate uh, if we're going to take our industry to the next level. So. And I know what was deeply important as we were having discussions and getting started with Sharon was, what was the impact of something like this actually going to be on the community members that she serves every day? So Sharon, I wonder if you might talk us through a little bit more about how this transforms the view of two people who otherwise look very similar. Yeah. Let me actually give you the Star Trek clicker. We're going to do the swap. Um, actually, before I do that, I just want to say, I remember that day that I called um, Jason and I said, you know, I, I need to do something. My market's changing so fast. I really want to disrupt myself. I want to disrupt the way that I've been doing marketing. So this, was, this is exciting. Um, all right, so I want to talk about Mary and Beth. So you've heard a lot of what Tyler and Jason have talked about. Let me bring it into kind of real-life world. And um, I've used this illustration with my C-suite as well as my own staff and to really just unpack what this means. And so Mary and Beth have been great friends. So go with me on this. <laughs> They've been great friends for years. They moved in next door to each other right after they got married. They do everything together. They left a shop. They're both in their 30s. They have similar household income. They work. And they both have kids. Actually, two daughters who are both in elementary school and two sons. They couldn't be more alike, right? But through looking through the optum lens, they actually are very different. So, oh. Let me go back. So when I would traditionally market to them, I would go out, right, this 35 to 54, I would go out with my best message that would appeal to them. This is a real life example of what I ran earlier this year um, in billboard and print, and this was in direct mail and et cetera, um, across all different channel mix. And it says, feel confident, number one ER in Central Florida, right? It appeals to everyone, it's kind of broad. I'm hoping it speaks to everybody. Um, but there's a better way. And like I said, through Optum, what I found out is that Mary and Beth are so very different. Let's take a look. Mary loves email. She's super busy. She's on her phone all the time. That's her primary source of information. While Beth is a direct mail gal. She loves to read about in more detail about things. Mary likes the convenience. Again, she's on the go. Beth, on the other hand, lower cost is her primary key driver for her. Mary is an online shopper, so we talked about how they love to shop, but they shop differently. Mary, online, again, everything on her phone. Beth loves to go to the mall. She likes that experience. Mary is a heavy user of healthcare, where Beth is a light user. Mary has been a past patient of ours, so we know more about her. Where Beth, on the other hand, she's, a, uh, she's more loyal to our competitors. She's been to one of their fundraising events, like the people she met. Um, but uh, again, very different in how they respond to my brand. Mary is highly profitable. We already know that she's been engaging with us. She's, she's got some health issues. Where Beth, she's more low profit. So the lifetime value of Mary is going to be much stronger at this point. At least that's what we know today. And then lastly, Mary's going to be driven by copy and data, while Beth, we've established, is more emotional. So pictures, imagery, emotional headlines are going to be so co compelling to her. And so how do we convert preference into choice, which really means volumes in our doors? And so here's how we might do it. So Mary, we're going to reach out to her every month with continual communication. We're going to email and text because we know she's on the phone all the time. Uh, we're going to emphasize eCare, which is our solution for virtual physician appointments, because we're going to make her healthcare so easy, right? She wants it right there in the palm of her hand. We're also going to be copy-driven, creative approach. We're going to emphasize quality ratings, because we know that's important to her. And we're going to notify her of new online resources and tools that can help her manage not only her, her own health, but her entire family. So we're going to talk to her very differently. Then we're going to talk to Beth. Beth, on the other hand, isn't engaging with our brand yet. So we're going to talk a little less frequently to her um, quarterly to start engaging her in that 
what we call the sales funnel in the traditional approach. Uh, we're going to send her direct mail because we know she loves that. We're going to take her at the top of the funnel. She's pretty healthy, right? So she needs urgent care when she, you know, the flu season comes around, primary care. We're going to lead with those emotional photo-driven messages, and we're going to offer her an incentive to trial us out. We're going to offer her different promotions to engage her, to get her in the door. And so you can see just a few of the examples of how this, this data and the approach that you could take. So now I'm going to turn it over to Tyler to talk about actually how we did the pilot. I really appreciate that. And I think what stands out so pronounced is how similar those two consumers looked and how different the strategy ended up being. Now, all of that is great conceptually. I think probably we all could have architected some version of that presentation talking about how people are different. So what really matters is that we are going out there with a practical application of all of this that solves a real business problem. And so talking back to the circumstance across uh, Central Florida that we were working with Sharon and her team on, I want to give you a little bit of color behind that problem. So Central Florida, and Orlando in particular, is one of the most competitive and unique markets in healthcare in the United States. Not only uh, has a favorable payer mix and a growing Medicare Advantage population drawn competitors nationally, CVS and Aetna, Walmart, even Cleveland Clinic has now established presence down here, um, that competition and that proliferation of care sites has actually created a ton of volume softness in some of the feeder services that Advent Health relies on for its financial sustainability. So ED volumes, there was, there's a pretty pronounced gap there due to all of this market activity. Separately, it's also created a consumer problem that's part of our mission and part of what we're wanting, wanting to solve because it's the right thing to do. With urgent care, primary care, telehealth, freestanding EDs, hospital-based EDs, there's just a proliferation of choices that are hard for consumers to navigate. And some of those assets even are all Advent Health branded and, and, um, and owned. So how do we appropriately navigate consumers to the right setting of care that's going to produce the most volume and the most value and ultimately be right for consumers based on what they need? So there's a just triage challenge between access sites here. And then part three, we really wanted to speak to Advent Health is very fortunate and is a pioneer in deploying certain marketing technology. They've invested and they're one of the leading uh, partners of Salesforce in the country, both on the digital side for identity resolution and ultimately consumer relationship management. We wanted to do something that was ultimately going to drive more patients into that capture mechanism that was going to provide more and more data and insight on consumers to Advent Health, something that wasn't going to be um, uh, not complementary to the investments that they've already made. So when you summarize that up, we have to solve a volume challenge, appropriately triage consumers, and ultimately complement all the existing digital work that they have. Simple project. So I want to take you through a little bit of the thinking that we had for access site marketing. It really became less of an idea of targeting and more an idea of predicting which consumers were going to be right for the right settings of care. Now that's a challenge for a couple different reasons. Number one, access site marketing is not really a game of targeting. At certain points, we could all be good targets for an emergency service, depending on what we're going through. Timing is hard to predict. And ultimately, there's a lot of different factors that may go into why I'm visiting a given care site that may or may not be clinical in nature. We had to think through all of this as we began to segment consumers based on needs. And ultimately, that would feed the segmentation strategy into the marketing and the creative. So where we landed was thinking through and tapping into our database to understand three things about natural proclivities of consumers. Part one is, what, were the, what, uh, di what diseases were people likely to have across Florida? An example of that could be we want to make sure that anyone predicted high risk for stroke or high risk for cardiovascular disease definitely was served an awareness message about symptoms, signs of a heart attack or stroke, and then knew about the emergency room. Secondly, we had to think through who was higher risk or who was more likely for certain symptoms or certain conditions that may emerge that's more feeling-based. Who's at higher risk for digestive care? And all they really know, they may not have digestive disease, but they may know I've got a really bad stomach problem and I've got to have, have knowledge about what resources and what care sites are available to me there. And then finally, we had to think through both from a strategy and a mission perspective, what consumer characteristics lends, lend themselves to the emergency department? It's actually a shocking amount of people are simply people without a primary care doctor who end up going to the ED inappropriately. We didn't want to deliver that message to anyone. So ultimately, when we triangulated this uh, and all these different factors together, along with a robust data analysis, we actually came up with a framework uh, that isolated 12 different core drivers for access site marketing. 
And then that 12 segment framework ultimately became more than 181 segments uh, when we got down to the messaging matrix. And there's even more assets there. So I'll actually invite Jason to talk a little bit about the marketing agency's perspective dealing with that. Yeah, thank you for creating 150 um, audience segments. That was a lot of fun. Um, I joke. Actually, it really excited me. Uh, it was probably the first time in my career. And I used to be young when I attended these shows. It was the first time in my career uh, in a long time where I'm like, this is actually really new. This is actually better. This is actually going to make a difference. Uh, we had been practicing and perfecting and evolving and leading out on a certain way of doing things, and this was a new way. And the question was, could we pull it off, and what would the results be if and when we did? So the first thing we worked on was 12 audience segments, roughly. And I was like, well, 12 audience segments, that's no big deal. We've all split up campaigns into 12 audience segments before. And then we looked at each one of those segments. So an example of a segment could be, here's people in the marketplace that might need the ER that would create longitudinal value in cardiovascular services. That's a great segment, right? I mean, that's a high margin service. Those are people that we want to get. I'm like, no problem. We could message to them. But out of that one segment, they seem to breed a lot more segments, men and women. If you lived in Kissimmee, it's different than if you live in Winter Park. If you speak English, it might be different than if you don't speak English, or if you just prefer a different language uh, to receive marketing uh, communications in. Uh, there were lots and lots of other ways to micro-segment each one of these 12 segments. And candidly, although that became super hard work, that became all the exciting stuff. That's what we were really here to do. Because at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is, I was right when I understood conceptually that 3554 was a bunch of baloney. What I didn't realize was it was actually hundreds of different just types of 35-year-olds. And I thought, that actually makes sense. I've never met clones. <laughs> There's other 49-year-old guys that match my almost exact profile, I would think, that are equally as crazy as me, that are executives at a marketing company that match my background, but they're probably not exactly like me. And so the communications that I want to receive or that will motivate me and really engage me are going to be different than somebody that appears almost just like me, which is why the Miriam Beth story, while really basic, is an important one to keep in mind. And it's actually what we practiced against. So we created all these micro-segments, 100-plus micro-segments that were coming off of our 12 key our 12 key audience that we knew if we could attract these 12 key audiences, this will be a great uh, success. We will better serve our communities, we will build our brand, and we will make more money. I thought that was a really good combination. And we deployed unique messages for each of these audiences in three different channels. I alluded to them earlier. I will not test you. Social, specifically the Facebook properties and all other properties where you could load in exact match audiences. Programmatic, different programmatic platforms. And direct mail, because just some people want to have direct mail. It's actually making a comeback. Did you guys all know that? It's not really a topic for a digital conference, but we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. So what did that all really start to look like? Let me bring it to life for you. Let me show you a little bit of the sizzle. So this was really fascinating to me. I thought I got such a rush out of this. So imagine you are a 45-year-old woman. You live in Central Florida. And you actually are interested and engaged with somewhat, actually, we want to communicate with both of you. We've identified you as an audience we want to talk to. One person is highly engaged. And the other person isn't quite as engaged. One person really cares about convenience. Hey, just tell me what place is closest to me. I want to know what place is closest to me. And the other person really cares about prevention, preventative care. I never want to get sick. Um, and this is how we took the same exact service and we communicated slightly different to them. It's only 15 seconds long, each one of these online videos. Um, they were both served up on places like CNN and other uh, programmatic uh, platform destination websites. So I'll click on one and then I'll click on the next. And hopefully there's audio that works in this room.
So two additional things I'd like to mention about that, because I'm just showing you a snippet because we're in a 60-minute concurrent session at a conference, is, first of all, uh, for this campaign alone, we did how many assets, Sharon? Over 500. Yeah, 500 assets for a three-month campaign. Anybody ever do 500 creative assets for a three-month campaign? I hadn't either. It was a new record. <laughs> By like 475. <laughs> um, and you have to be willing to do that. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Uh, so there is a lot that goes into this to make that slight variation from one audience to the next come to life. Uh, the second thing is, and you wouldn't know this unless you live in Central Florida, we talked earlier about purpose and precision coming together. Everything I just showed you was on brand for them. I don't mean just match their colors, which we all have to do. We're going to match the colors. It'll be the same font. I mean it came directly from their brand campaign. The feeling whole, feel whole that you saw at the end, if you were reading, uh, that's their tagline. That's what you see up in the marketplace. If you drive around, actually, I wouldn't drive around. I-4 is a mess. But if you were driving around in this marketplace, you would see feel whole billboards all over the marketplace. Um, let's, let's, a couple more examples. So this is actually a display ad. We're actually using the exact same message. And this is to caregivers. So we want caregivers to bring their parents in. Right? We want to reach out to them directly. But not all caregivers are the same. They sort of fall in the, a very narrow uh, age range, but they might be of different ethnicities, and we're able to understand those ethnicities by our list and by our geography. So the more personal you can make it, it should feel like when they get the communication, no, they made this just for me, or they shouldn't be thinking about it at all. Even better. And lastly, we talked about Miriam Beth, and you saw that one person was more visual, one person was more copy-driven. You probably have this in your household, by the way. I'm totally visual. My wife reads the small print on the contract, and I'm like, I never read that in my life. Who knows what I owe? But <laughs> this is for a person, just to show you, a different take on it. This is for the type, certain segments just prefer copy-driven. So we developed some things that were just of copy-driven. And as I said, we had hundreds of assets. So with that, I sort of want to round out today's uh, oh, I'm sorry. Before I round out, let's talk about tracking all this. Um, this all started for me at, on a journey of we need more results, we're more accountable, we need to track things better. Who here tracks perfectly, by the way? That's a great show of hands because everyone does a great job. I work with 100 hospitals and health systems every day. So if your hand isn't up, I want you to know, zero would raise their hand and say we're great at tracking and ROI analysis. It's really tough. And part of it is just some things are untrackable. To any degree that you actually, it passes a smell test to a CEO or a CFO for sure. Why? Because there's only so far you can get with image awareness, preference, even your click-through rates, your view-through rates, all those things. It's not bottom line. Close the loop for me, they say. Well, it's really hard to close the loop unless you're willing to do programs like this. And I'm not here to sell you this program. Well, that'd be great, but... I'm not here to sell you this program. I'm here to sell you a, a concept, an idea. I hope many competitors come up and do it equally well. That will better serve this industry. But what I get, excites me about this type of program is you finally can close the loop if you want to. And that's really the only things that we're going to be allowed to do moving forward. That's the demand that's put on us. So we all understand these metrics on the left-hand side, and this is what we're tracking for Advent Health. Our investment, yeah, we know what that is, by media, our investment by creative, our reach, frequency, GRPs, our impression levels, our view-through rates, our click rates. That's fine and dandy, and that's wonderful. I look at that every single day. But here's what else we're going to be tracking as part of this effort. Leads. That's a great term for our industry to talk about. Leads. Conversion rates. Profit per conversion. Volumes. Initial volume. Here's a good one. Longitudinal value. We're talking about an access campaign. The real value of this is what? <laughs> what they do downstream. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much you make off of the ER visit. As a matter of fact, if we're best serving our communities, we're not trying to make a lot of money off them on the ER visit. We're just trying to better serve the communities. I bet you're all, most all of you are in a very similar circumstance. New patients, returning patients. For some reason, we devalue returning patients uh, in our business, uh, but we do. Um, it can't just be us. Uh, Campaign ROI and project ROI. All of that we're tracking as part of this effort. Real numbers. Cross-matching real revenue to patient records that we've loaded in from the beginning, done specific messages to almost every one of them. 
in specific media that reaches out just to them, and we're showing ROI against patients. So that's our pathway, uh, and that really excites me. With that, now I will <laughs> not turn it over to you. One more <laughs> point on tracking. One more thing we're doing, because just in case some of those numbers take, there's lag time, right? By the time you come into the ER, and then you get your heart procedure two years later, there's some lag in the ROI. We're also running control groups. So we took 2% of each of the audiences. So there's potentially hundreds of segments, right? We took 2% out, and we're not marketing to them. And we're comparing the 98% that we market to to the 2% we're doing nothing against. Because there are other things they're doing in the marketplace. There's other ways that they're getting business. But we, what we really want to understand is if we do this, and if we don't do this, what is the difference between those two groups? And over time, I think that's a very powerful story. And uh, we don't have our first set of data yet, but I will tell you uh, shortly, the results, the early returns are very encouraging. Tyler? And so I promised you guys we would leave you with a little bit more consideration and a little bit more of reflection on our lessons learned from going through this. And from the data side of it, I would say uh, two things really stand out. Number one is it is really fun in certain ways to narrow down to certain audiences and think differently about small groups. And the business rationale for that is that we get to spend our time thinking very intently about what is meaningful to the group that we are trying to ultimately acquire. So thinking through who was going to be profitable, who was going to be the longest value consumer for us, and what were their clinical needs and how we could anticipate those. Thinking about that is deeply rewarding from the perspective of, a, of effort well spent. So that was kind of one reflection. I think the other thing that all three of us realized, Jason has certainly alluded to, was that it takes a little bit more time and work. But no one picked up that burden uh, more in this than Sharon and her team. And I, I wonder, Sharon, if you'd talk, uh, especially for anyone thinking about projects like this, what was different for you? Yeah, Tyler. I mean, it took a lot more time than I thought. I mean, we went all in. I, I remember saying to Tyler and Jason, I, let's do it. Let's do it today. I, I, I will deploy a team. I'll set up a process. Um, but just the sheer number of assets and the turnarounds. And I, I know Jason and I, we joke about this now, but um, they created 200 assets. And I said, wait a minute, we need to step back. I got one shot to sell this to my C-suite, that this is the new future and the direction and really show the ROI. I need to go back and I need to talk to my clinicians. I need harder messages. I need more targeted messages. So this took a little bit more time, but very well worth stepping back and making sure I came out of the shoot with the right approach. The power of great data. And I know that we've talked about that quite a bit, but that really uh, comes into play in two fronts. Number one, part of the art and the fun of segmenting different consumers based on your business needs is that every time you segment consumers, every time you develop out 12 segments, there's the art and the possibility of getting even more specific. And sometimes the actual eyeballs uh, sometimes exceed the stomach's ability to kind of digest that much work. Um, but having world-class data that can answer different questions, uh, create new views and new segments, really was something we didn't anticipate how narrow we could actually get as part of it. And then part two, equally as important, is exactly what Jason and Sharon talked about with uh, the validation point for the C-suite team. What data are we actually capturing to make sure that all of this extra investment in time, strategy, effort, review that we've put in is actually having impact? And some of the, the power of that data being able to tie back really helps us tell a better story in terms of our accountability and the, the fruits of our labor. So one thing that Sharon didn't elaborate on, she was being sweet to me, uh, is that halfway through this process, we started the whole thing over. So we actually finished all the work on the campaign. We did all the strategy. We segmented all the audiences. We did all the creative work and just needed a green light to launch. And Sharon said, eh, let's do it again. Um, that was fun. It was a good day. And, um, but for good reason, right? We were really interested. We looked at all the work that we had done, and we looked at all the audience segmentation and the personalization and how much we knew about each of these micro-segments. And we said, did we really give them a message only that micro-segment? Did we give that microsegment the best possible message, or did we sort of fall back into our old habits, if you will, and start widening out, eh, that message will work for them, it'll work for them, and we'd had. So she called us all out on it, and we began again. 
So we actually did the project twice. So that takes a little bit longer. Um, but I would also encourage you that if you do something like this, don't be afraid to do that. There's a difference. There's a change in the mindset. Uh, when you're doing this type of work, you can let go of the messaging with the creative right away. If somebody wants to kill, go ahead, because we're going to do hundreds of them. You can't get married to it. It's not like you've finished the end of line, you've done your five online videos for this very specific campaign, and the doctor's thrilled with it, and the CEO loves it, and your whole team loves it, and you're ready to go, and somebody wants to kill one. That's a different discussion. When you have 500 assets sitting in front of you, and somebody wants to be like, hey, you know, is that as specific as it can be? Because we're really strong in Kissimmee in this type of service with this physician. Can we add that in there? you really lean into that. There's a very different thing. So instead of resisting it, you lean into all change, all evolution. But that was new for me, which leads me to my final point, which is the 80-20 rule doesn't apply at all in this space. Anybody know what the 80-20 rule is? I made it up, by the way. Just because I saw it in Google in a graphic. No, I'm kidding. I didn't make it up. Um, the 80-20 rule is the rule that I've always heard from my clients and have had to live by. You can put 80% of our money into media and 20% of our money getting all our stuff into the media. We all are in some range of that. Is anybody here at 50-50? Right. Anybody here at 10-90? Probably some people in the room, right? That's cool. This is more of a 50-50. The work here isn't done in the distribution of the message. The hard work, the brilliant work, the assets are all done up front. The optimization, and I mean real optimization, is done on an ongoing basis. But the vast majority of the work is done up front. You have to get it right up front, which is why you have to be willing to redo a wide swath of work if that's what's necessary to be successful. Now, when we go and talk about this all over the country, does every head of marketing turn to us and go like, oh, 50-50, that's fine? Of course not. When I said that to Sharon, she went like this, I don't know if I could really sell it to anybody. I don't know if I'm buying it, that theory, Jason. But the truth of the matter is, is we wound up somewhere in between, even on project one. So we're probably in the right realm, but I wanted you to know the 2080 rule really doesn't apply. So as you're managing expectations internally, if you're doing something like this, uh, that is a learning. There is an education process, and it will take some time. That's great. Tyler? So in closing, I think what we wanted to leave you with was a bit more inspiration and a few more ideas about how, if you're thinking about how you could speak differently to consumers in your market, if you may be investing in different tools like this, I hope this was valuable to you. HCIC Next is made possible by Greystone.net, the Healthcare Internet Conference, and Touchpoint Media. To learn more about this show and others like it, visit us online at touchpoint.health.